Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. We're excited to gather together to not only uh, bring the Lord all of our situations, all the circumstances that we find ourselves in today, but also to remember that he is exalted over all people, all situations, all nations. And we look forward to seeing how he continues to work out his plan for our world. Psalm 99 starts and says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let him praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. And uh, Romans 11 ends like this. It says, oh, the depths of the, uh, sorry, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and worship this God this morning.
is a reading from Romans chapter 7 and 8 that reminds us that in our sin, in our human condition, there is hope, and it's found in Jesus Christ. More time, because it's important. <laughs> in our sin, in our human condition, there is hope. And it's found in Christ alone. And this is what Paul writes in Romans 7 and 8. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
go to the person next to you, maybe somebody you don't know, and say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And then you may be seated. Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Johnny Cash. <laughs> Thank you. He, he named me that way today. Uh, as we continue in an attitude of worship, I'm going to call, please call the ushers to the front. Um, I want to thank you all for those of you that continue to sustain the church financially. We are so grateful for your generosity and your commitment to this church. For those of you that are new to the church, please do not feel obligated uh, to participate or visit in the church. Please do not feel obligated in participating in this. This is for those of us that consider this to be our church. So you may pass the plates. Uh, as, we, as we pass the plates, I want to remind you that there's three different ways. Um, and how we can sustain the church financially. Uh, we could go to witbible.org uh, slash give. You could always give you offering as we pass the plates every weekend. Or for those of you that for some reason are worshiping with us at home, you could always send your offerings to the uh, offices of the church. Amen? All right. So how many of you guys um, were already part of the church when we moved into this building? Can you please raise your hand? This, did you guys know that we are turning 15 years already in being in this beautiful building? Did you guys know that? Yeah, how about we give glory to God? And I don't know if this, is that, this has been your experience, but my experience has been so amazing since we, when, since we for, first moved here. I think that since the very moment we moved into this campus, when we moved out of Wheaton to, into West Chicago, the Lord started to do different things, not better things, but different things to what the Lord was already doing when we were in Wheaton, in, in, in downtown uh, Wheaton area. Um, and what I find interesting, though, is that in the last 15 years, not only the Lord has done so many different beautiful things, but to a certain degree... He's changed us simply because we are in a different location to where we were before. And there's so many things for us to celebrate. And there's so many things for us to remember. And there's so many things why we should be grateful for what the Lord has been doing since the first moment we came into this building. And we want to share some of that with you. So please pay attention to this video. When the decision was made to move elsewhere, we looked for land within a seven mile radius of the church. This land here that we're on right now was not available. It had just had been purchased by Joe Keim, a local developer. His plan was to build 262 homes on this site. But two of our people from our church, Chuck Steer and Mac Earhart, they came to Joe Keim and, and Who's the idea, would you be willing to sell a portion of this land for a church? He thought about it a bit and he said, yes, I'd be willing to sell that to the church. 
And uh, we we're underway then with the plans to, to develop this. What we started with was meeting with all of our ministry people over a period of, long period of time and talking about what they need currently and what they could project for the next 5, 10, 15 years of ministry and what that would require in a building. And out of that, we came up with the plan for this building. Nine years later, we ended up here with the building completed and the doors open and people coming in. The first Sunday was an amazing Sunday for me. I was standing at the top of the stairs by our chapel over there and I just looked down in the atrium and I could see all of these people coming in the door. Many of them I knew over the years. Some of them were strangers to me. And it was just kind of an exciting thing for me to see that all these years of planning and sacrificial giving of our people, the, the children who brought pennies and piggy banks to make this happen to the larger gifts. And it all came together on that day for me as I saw this and just saw the hand of God. I remember everyone being super excited. Right? It, it's almost felt, it almost felt like we were going to the promised land. We went from being a community church, right, in the heart of wheat, to be kind of a regional church in which we have people coming from all over the place. Recuerdo que fue un, un momento muy, muy emocional para la Iglesia del Pueblo, porque nos fuimos de congregarnos en el gimnasio a congregarnos en el East Worship Center. Como hispanos nos sentimos que le importábamos a la iglesia, que se hizo una inversión grande para nosotros uh, y que tenemos un lugar digno de congregarnos. In these 15 years, we've seen God's handiwork in so many ways. The, the healthy um, worship services that we have. I don't think there's any other model in the region that's doing what we're doing with a contemporary service, a traditional service, and an Hispanic service, all highly valued. Uh, God's blessing all of them in ways that uh, go well beyond our greatest expectations. What's, what we've been able to do in West Chicago with Puente, that was one of the early goals when Pastor Rob said, I want us to make an impact in the community. We were seeing that happen now uh, in that area, and, it, and God's just continued to bless that. Desde el principio, obviamente, el deseo de nosotros era seguir uh, alcanzando personas para, para el Señor. Dios nos estaba llamando básicamente a hacer todos los esfuerzos de alcanzar el mayor número de personas posible. I think that as we move into the future and whether, whatever the Lord is calling us to be, as we love God and love one another and love our neighbor and love the nations, what is it that the Lord has already done that is going to give us the peace and the confidence? And at the end of the day, whatever the Lord calls us to be and do is because He's got plans and He will accomplish His purpose. The people who have sacrificed to get us to this place, the people who have planned and given their, their, their gifts, they all came together at one point to, to make this happen. And my hope is that we don't lose sight of that, that um, like those 12 stones on the other side of the Jordan, that we could just remember what God has done here in this place. Isn't that great? How about we give glory to God? So let me ask again, how many of you guys were here when we moved into this new building? Just look around. And I guarantee you that most of you that raised your hand contributed financially so we could make this move. 
And I, and I guarantee you that many of you guys were praying like crazy for the Lord to bless their move. And guess what happened? The Lord has been faithful. The Lord is faithful. And the Lord will continue to be faithful. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we look at, uh, at the things that we just looked at, and we remember, Lord, that this is your church. That it is true, Lord, what you said in Matthew, that you will build your church and not even the gates of hell will be able to destroy it. We are standing here today before your presence acknowledging that the only reason why we are here today is because you have plans and you accomplish your plans. We are grateful, Lord, that you have allowed us to be part of your church and you have called us to be part of Witten Bible Church. We are grateful, Lord, that we get to be a family in mission, a family that is not just thinking about our own well-being, but the well-being of our community and the glory of your name. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to do that. And what better way, Lord, to prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word than to remember that 15 years ago, we moved here because you wanted us to continue to be a church. Now I pray, Lord, for the presence and the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we open up a scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to work in us and make of us the people that we ought to be. Please, Lord, use your word and use the gospel to transform our minds to affect our affections, and to influence our will. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say, Amen. all right. So today we're going to take a pause on our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to do a two-week series called Extravagant. Now, the word extravagant, um, it has both a, a positive and a negative uh, definition. So uh, um, the word extravagant from a negative perspective is, is someone that lacks self-control and is willing to spend it all and waste it all with no regrets at the expense of anybody or anything. That will be the negative perspective of, of an extravagant person. But an extravagant person can also have a positive perspective because he's someone that is willing to spend it all and give it all for that which he or she finds worthy. In other words, an extravagant person is a person that, is, that has found something so beautiful, so amazing, so perfect, so fulfilling, so transcendent that he's willing to give it all for that which he found or she found. And I want to make the argument that the word extravagant is a really good word for what it means to be a believer. I want to make the argument that to be an extravagant, it's a, almost, I would say, a biblical word that explains, what, that explains what it means to be a believer. So today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about why is it that, the, that I believe that the, the, the Bible calls us extravagant people. 
that are part of an extravagant church, and we do that, and we're part of that because we have an extravagant God. Extravagant people, part of an extravagant church, because we have an extravagant God. And the text we're going to be looking at today is a famous a passage, I believe, beautiful passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So if you have your Bible, please go to Romans chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to put the, the verses on the screen uh, for you to read with us. Still with me? Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according to, uh, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is uh, to encourage, then give encouragement. If, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy... Do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Let's go with point number one. Why is it that I call the church, and I believe that the word extravagant is a good name for uh, church people. Right at the beginning of the text, Paul, the author of this letter, under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Cause the church at the beginning of verse 1 to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Martin Lord Lloyd-Jones preached 12 sermons just on that verse. 12 sermons and, that, and those four sentences, four phrases. And I'm going to preach a three-hour sermon <laughs> just on those sentences. Just kidding. But I could. Not because I'm an amazing preacher, but because the text is amazing. So four phrases, every single one of those phrases, extremely important. Paul calls the church and calls believers to offer their bodies. That means to offer yourself completely to God. To hold nothing back, to have no reservations, no restrictions, to give yourself completely to God. That's where I get the word extravagant from. 
A believer is someone that holds nothing back. Give themselves completely to God. Notice that Paul doesn't say that a Christian is someone that gives uh, him or herself to God in fragments. Notice that Paul does not say that a Christian is someone that gives to God the leftovers. Notice that he doesn't say that a believer is someone that gives him or herself to God gradually. He says, offer your bodies. Give yourself completely. Hold nothing back. So the question we've got to ask is, how does the believer do that? Well, this is where the second phrase comes in. Is that me or is that you guys over there? You guys hear that? Is it me? Anyway, second phrase. This is where the second phrase comes in. Paul is going to say that part of the reason why a, a Christian gives themselves completely to God is because we understand that we are called to live as living sacrifice. Meaning that the Christian understands that the only way for us to give ourselves completely to God is by learning how to die to ourselves. The word sacrifice literally can be translated as killing ourselves. See, the believer understands that the Christian life is about self-denial, not about self-gratification. See, the believer understands that the only way that you make a difference in this world and you live for the glory of God not only is by learning to kill yourself. We offer ourselves as living, we offer our bodies only when we learn to live as living sacrifices. Sacrifice is when someone is willingly and intentionally um, uh, practicing self-denial. Self-denial. So the question is, so then, why would the Christian practice self-denial? This is where the third phrase comes in. It says that the only way someone, uh, part of the reason why Christian exercise self-denial is because we understand that we are holy to God, meaning that we have been set apart for God and his purposes. That when you become a Christian, you're just not a regular person that has been redeemed and saved, but that you are a person that has been saved from something for something. That to be holy means that you are separated for God and his purposes. Paul says that a Christian is someone that offers their bodies as a living sacrifice because we are holy to God. And then somebody got to ask the question, well, what is that purpose? What, what, why is it that God has set, has set us apart for something bigger? You want to change this? Josh, you want to change this? Keep on going? It's annoying though. He says that our purpose at the end of the day is this thing. We live to please God, fourth phrase. Notice that it says that a Christian is not something that is thinking about how is it that we're going to do to please ourselves, but that at the end of the day, to be a believer is someone that intentionally and willingly are living for the glory of God, to bring pleasure to God. I want to make the argument that there's no more radical countercultural message than that message for modern people. Because we are part of a society and a world that says that you are the most important person in the world and everything is about you. And Paul has the nerves to say to the church, the kingdom is not about you. 
You are not here just to consume. Christians understand that we live for something bigger and better than just the gratification of our own desires. Mike Green, which is a pastor and a church planter, he says this. We live in a culture that revolves around consuming. Every TV commercial, every store, every credit card company, every bank, every TV show or movie, every piece of clothing, car or product, every website, every restaurant, everything is tailored to fit your desires, needs, or personal preference. We are easily infuriated when things don't happen exactly as we want them. We exist, exist in a place that implicitly says, we are here to serve you and meet your every whim and desire. Let us take care of you. Isn't that true? Everything is designed to, to remind you, to help you uh, remember that you are the most important person and everything is about you. I think that that is true every time I go to the store. Every time I see something, I could almost hear the pair of shoes saying to me, you need me. <laughs> you know, my wife and I have this conversation all the time, but we, are, we have learned to make a distinction when we say, I want this and I need this. This is the world in which we live. You are supposed, everything's supposed to be accustomed to you. And I want to make the argument that there's nothing more detrimental than to be obsessed with yourself. There is nothing more detrimental for, the, for any human being to be obsessed with ourselves. Thinking that true happiness and fulfillment and joy can only be found if we only live for ourselves. And what Paul says is that that is not true. The way to find happiness and fulfillment and joy is to live for something better and bigger than ourselves. And for us Christians, is God, his church, and his plans. Paul says, if you, if you want to find happiness, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Actually, Paul is going to go as far as to say that to not do that is illogical. It's dumb. You know where I get that from? The second part of verse 1. Look at what it says. He calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, and then he says this is our true and proper worship. You know those two phrases, those two words, true and proper, is in the original, it's just one language, it's one word. Is the word logicals, where we get the word logic. Look at what it says. If God is God, and he is, and he is how the Bible says he is, and the church is what the Bible says the church is, and God is unstoppable and has beautiful purpose, and purposes for this creation, the most logical thing, is for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. It is illogical not to do it. It is irrational not to do it. It is detrimental not to do it. Because the worst thing that we could do is to live for ourselves. Isn't that true? 
Like, listen, deep down inside, even if you don't agree with Paul, deep down inside, you know that that is true. Have you ever seen a person that is completely obsessed with themselves and you say, man, that person is really happy? Have you ever seen a person that is so selfish, so self-centered, so egocentric, and you go, mm, that's good, that, that's husband uh, potential. Oh, that would be a great leader. Do you say that? Part of the reason why we never say that is because deep down inside, we know that there's nothing more detrimental and destructive to the person and everybody else than to be completely self-centered. And Paul says, that's not what Christians are. That's why in verse 2, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will, will be able to test and approve God, uh, what God's will is. That the will of God is good, that the will of God is pleasing, and that the, good of, the will of God is perfect. This is what Paul says. Live how I'm asking you to live, and you will see that the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. This is part of the reason why we, God calls us to be extravagant people. Give ourselves completely to God. Sacrifice yourself. Give yourself for something bigger and better. God's glory and his kingdom. Do it and you will see that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. I am convinced that part of the reason when we struggle with our faith is because we are not taking into consideration what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. There is nothing better, nothing better than to live for him sacrificially, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Nothing better. You know what I find interesting about this text, though? He talks about this thing, and then he starts talking about the church from verses 3 to 8. And I want to invite you to consider that part of the reason why Paul first talks about the individual and calls us to live, uh, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and then he talks about the church, is because the church, listen up church, the church is one of the first places where you have to learn to exercise what it means to be a living sacrifice. Paul's argument is going to be, that if you really want to grow in the way you practice offering yourself as a living sacrifice, you must value and be part of the church. That will be point number two. Extravagant church. Now, before uh, uh, applying the text here, I, it's important that we take the time to explain how is it that the Bible talks about the church in general, and us as a church, right? Um, I think that when the Bible talks about the church, it always talks about this community of believers that are both, that are saints and sinners. And when I say, when I use the term saints and sinners, I'm not talking about two different kinds of people. Like you guys are the saints, and you guys are the sinners, and you guys are the saints, and you guys are the sinners. That's not what Paul is saying. Actually, uh, actually, the entire New Testament makes the case that the church is this, is this community of faith in which every single member of the church is both a saint and a sinner. 
Saint, because if we are believers, we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, therefore we have been forgiven. Therefore we have been declared righteous. And therefore we have been sanctified. We are saints. If you're a believer, you are a saint. But because sin still lives in you, and because we still struggle with our sins, we're also sinners. Listen, there's no better place for you to grow in your understanding and practice of what it means to offer yourself as a living sacrifice that when you start to hang around with people that are saints, yay, and sinners. Uh, at the same time, no better way. Actually, I'm convinced of this. I've been thinking a lot about this. Whatever the Lord calls me to be and do, the two places where I must put that into practice is always at home first and then in the church. Because if I cannot leave that out at home and then in my church, I cannot leave it out there. What makes you think that you could be a living sacrifice out there if you don't lo learn how to do that in here? Just think about this for a second. Even with our church, we have people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of stories and all kinds of struggles and all kinds of sins and all kinds of experiences and all kinds of things. See, when I think of our church, I think of our church of a community of saints and sinners. See, some of our sinners are darker skin, have darker skin, right? Therefore, the darker skin people usually need um, the protection cream SPF 30. But if you're a senior that has lighter skin, you probably need the SPF 5000, one of those two. <laughs> now, put these two people together, and I guarantee you that there will be problems. Some of our seniors are taller, and therefore not enough room, leg room for you to sit. Some of you guys are shorter, and you need help to, just to get on the chair. <laughs> Can you imagine these two people coming together? Can you imagine what it means for us to come together as a church where we have all these preferences and ideas and think about uh, and experiences and how we think about the world and all the places that we've been and the struggles we have and all of these things that we come together. That's why I think that the best description of the church is this beautiful mess. It's a beautiful mess. I love it when new people come to the church and say, I love this church. People are so loving and caring, so welcoming, and everything inside of me says, just wait a month. That would change super fast. <laughs> because, yes, we are saints, but the saints sometimes forget that they're saints. Depends on your week and the struggles and the things you're going through. You, for, you sometimes behave more like a sinner than a saint. You know what's crazy, though? That when the Bible talks about, and Paul talks about the church, not only talks about the saints, sinners that happen to be together, but he says that these saints, sinners belong to one another. Verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
That's a crazy statement. Saint sinners belong to one another. You don't belong to yourself. If you are a modern person, that's annoying to hear. You don't belong to you. You belong to God and belong to the rest of the church. There is not such a Christian, there's not a Christian that could say, nobody gets to tell me what to do. That's not a thing in the Bible. There's no such a thing as a Christian saying, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I don't need the church. That's, that's not such a thing in the Bible. We belong to one another. We truly belong to one another. This is part of the reason why we are called to live in community. This is part of the reason why not only we come to church, but you cannot be a ninja Christian. Have you ever heard of those? Those are the ones that come, show up out of nowhere. And you blink and they disappear. <laughs> There's no such a thing like that. We belong to one another. You're supposed to know people and people are supposed to know you. We are saints, sinners that belong. Can you say belong? We belong to God and his church. And not only we belong to God and his church, but we are also saints, sinners that need the gifts of one another. Look at what happens in verse 4 and verse 6. For just as each of us has one, uh, has one body with many members... And these members do not have all the same function. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Paul is making the argument. Just like the body has different members and they don't function well without each other, we are the body of Christ and we need our gifts and our differences to complement one another. And notice the word grace. Our gifts are an evidence of the grace of God. So if you are a believer... You can be certain that you have, a, you have a gift. Everyone that is a believer has a gift. Because the gift is an evidence of, evidence of God's grace and it comes by the power of the Spirit. Therefore, no one in this church, if you're a believer, could say that you have nothing to give. No one in this church could say that. No one could think that the gifts you have are for you. Because your gifts are for the body. Corinthians says, Paul says in Corinthians, for the common good. But not only all Christians have gifts, but all Christians need the gifts of other people. You know why? Because not only we are saints, but we are sinners. We don't have it all together. Listen up, church. If you are here, if this is your church, the reason why you're here is because you have gifts. And the church needs those gifts. This body does not function well without using your gifts well. But because you're part of this body, you also need the gifts of everybody else. 
because you are not a finished product. You know, when I was little, I had a cat. I'm not an animal person, so I don't even know why we had a cat, but we had a cat. I remember clearly. Now, remember, I was little, right? This is B.C., before Christ. I'm looking at this cat, and I notice that he had very long whiskers. And for some reason, in my ignorance and age, I said, what's the purpose of those things? They're ugly. So guess what I did? I shaved them off. And now I have this cat completely drunk, meowing like crazy, meow, meow. I'm sure that the cat was, was cussing because he was not a Christian cat, but, be, but because I don't speak cat, I didn't take it personally, right? I'm sure I ruined the cat for a while. And I've learned that there's a lot of Christians that think of their gifts the same way I thought of those whiskers. It's nice to see them, but they're not needed. And if that's you, you are so wrong. Your gifts are needed. And you need the gifts of everybody else because by design, we are interdependent. Interdependent. So let me, let me just make a commercial here. This is part of the reason why we are changing service times in August. And we're going to have two hours and two hours for traditional contemporary. Part of the reason is because we do, we, as a church, we want to give you enough room for you to come to the worship service you enjoy and to either serve or join a community in the second hour. Because your gifts are needed. And because you need the gifts of other people in your life. You worship in one hour and you join another hour, either in a community or you serve. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be part of the church. Now, by God's grace, this church is full of people that do that. But every now and then, I meet someone that is just like extra. You know what I mean? There's good. There's good, good. There's good, good, and there's like hyper-extravagant people. So instead of me sharing what that person looks like to you, I want to bring the person to the front, if it's okay with you guys. So I'm going to ask you to please welcome Anne Garnett to the front, because we're going to ask her a few questions. How about you welcome? There you go. Was that intimidating? That was super yeah. intimidating. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm assuming that a lot of you guys, uh, a lot of you guys know Anne, but um, just in case we have people that don't know you well, tell us a little bit about you, your family, how long have you been here, all of these things. Right. So my name is Anne Garnett, and along with my husband Grant, we've been part of this church. It'll be 36 years next month. Um, we were we got married very early. Very yeah, early. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we raised our four kids here. They're all married now and engaged in their local churches where they live. And this is the place that Grant and I have served. This is where our deepest and longest friendships have been built. And we absolutely love this church family. Now, part of the reason why I wanted Anne to share a little bit with us about her journey in the church and things like that is because, like, it seems like if I was exaggerating a little bit, but I'm actually not. Like, the Lord has equipped you in a, in a very unique way, and you have served 
I don't know, like in 20,000 places here. So, uh, by the way, we're not bragging. I, I, want, I want you to see a point, okay? So tell us a little bit of what is it that the Lord has granted you to do in this place all throughout these 36 years. Okay, so um, one of the things that both my husband Grant and I have been blessed to be able to serve in leadership in different ways in the church. So Grant's been an elder. He's helped lead and shepherd adult communities. And I've had just the complete joy of being on the global executive team with which works with missions and then the core team leadership for women's Bible study. But if I was really honest with you, it's all the everyday ways that I've been able to serve over the years that really stand out to me. It's hosting and teaching at a neighborhood Bible club with the kids in my neighborhood. It's joining a go team to go on the mission field and encourage and work alongside one of our missionaries. Or, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, just co-leading a small group for place for you. Just one of those more everyday things. And yes, I am a person who has a Wheaton Bible Church bucket list, and it's things that I want to do during my time here. I've checked a lot of things off, including working in the parking lot. Remember when we used to work in the parking lot in the middle yeah. of January, directing cars, did yeah. that. Served on the senior pastor search committee. I didn't even know that was on my bucket list, yeah. but it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's been a lot of really fun ways for me to engage over now, the years. Now, as, as I have spent uh, time with you just talking about church and even through all those processes and questions and stuff like that, one thing that I noticed, though, is that you have a high view of church. You, you do have a profound, uh, actually, to quote you, you, you said something similar to, uh, close to, I am committed to this church, whatever it takes, something of that sort. Yeah. So how about if you share with us a little bit of why is it that you think Paul talks about the church so highly and why is it that for you the church is so important? I've thought a lot about this question since Hannibal gave it to me a few days ago. And I think it comes down to kind of two things. I mean, there's a lot of things, but the two things that stand out to me is I had, first of all, I had no idea you were preaching out of Romans 12. But there's another passage that's super similar to it from Ephesians where, God, where Paul is saying, we're all God's workmanship, and every one of us is created in Christ Jesus to do the works he made for us to do. I'm not given your works. You're not given my works. We're each given our individual works, and the church works the best when everyone is engaged in their works. Amen. And I think sometimes we take a pass. We, we tell ourselves that we're not equipped well enough, whatever it is. But you know what? The church suffers when we do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think over the years I've just really put a high value on being involved at church. And I think the other thing, too, for me personally, maybe this is more of a theological thing, is serving the Lord is the way that I show my gratitude to him for the fact that he has chosen me, saved me, seated me with Christ, all the blessings that I have. And I don't do it to earn his favor. I do it because he's given me his favor. Hmm. And, and so I just, it's, it, we talk in at church all the time. I heard you say it this morning that, that giving is an act of worship, so is serving. It's an act Amen. of worship. It's the way we live out our faith and in gratitude to the Lord. So if I give you just a minute to uh, invite the church to something about serving and being committed and all these things, what would you say to them? Well, I, I thought this week about um, something we heard from this platform several years ago during Missions Fest. It was Ed Stetzer. And he said, put your yes on the table and allow the Lord to place it on the map. And I think we think about that with global missions. But I think we need to think about that serving in our local community. We need to think about where we're gifted, where we find our greatest joy, and we need to take that yes and put it on the table and allow God to intersect it with where our need is here at Wheaton Bible. Amen. Thank yeah. you so much. You're welcome. How about we give me a round of applause here?
So one of the things that the Lord has allowed me to be thinking about, especially as I've been taking uh, some time off during the summer, is one big thing for me has been why is it that the Lord has given us a multi-generational church? Actually, you know that the future of this church depends so much about how is it that we raise uh, multiple generations for the glory of God. And I want to remind you that not only you have been created, uniquely created in a way, and you have unique gifts that nobody else has. Listen up. Not just because some of the people, not just because you have gifts like nobody else has, but because nobody else has the gifts the way you do. You can all be teachers, but you are a unique teacher because of the way the Lord made you to be. We can all be servants, but you are unique in a sense because there is no other servant like you because of the Lord, the way the Lord made you to be. My prayer for us as a church is that we have a church that really understands and believes that we are wired, that we are wired in a unique way for the glory of his name and the well-being of his church. That's why, for example, Anne has been such a great testimony to me. Like, I understand that not everyone is going to be like Anne, but everyone plays a role. Did you know that even the differences in generations make a difference? How many of you guys are part of the boomer generation? Did you know that the Lord has given you the gift to be able to coach and shepherd and love and teach younger generations? How many of you guys are generation X, which is my generation? Did you know that we are the best generation in the world? <laughs> Just kidding. That's not what sociologists say, by the way. <laughs> Did you know that the millennial generation has much to learn from the Xers and the boomers? You know, one, uh, when you look at boomers and you look at millennials, very similar, with some of the same issues, by the way. So millennials also have something to contribute. And then you got Generation C, which is my daughter. We got something to contribute. And I find it amazing that it's God's design and beauty and wisdom and perfection. Not only he designed us in a unique way as individuals, but he designs us in a unique way by generations. You are a saint and a sinner. And you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God and to his church. And you have gifts. And those gifts are needed. And our body is not going to function well unless you use your gift. But because you're a sinner, you steal other people's gifts. Now the question is this. The question is then how do we make it happen? And I think Anne actually talked about this. It is only when you see what you have received that you actually learn to live lives as living sacrifices. Which is point number four. The reason why we are extravagant people and we want to become an extravagant church is because we have an extravagant God. Look at what Paul says in the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Notice that Paul says that the power and the motivation for us to want to live, offer our bodies as living sacrifice, 
is the mercy of God. That's why the word therefore there is so important. Paul is making a connection between his imperative, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, and everything else he said before chapter 12. So if you don't know what the mercy of God is, let me read it to you really quick. You want to know what the mercy of God is? The mercy of God is that in Romans chapter 1 says that you and I deserve the wrath of God. You know why? Because we had exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. But because the mercy of God does not stop there, the mercy of God also leads us to Romans chapter 2. And in Romans chapter 2 says that not only we deserve the wrath of God, but that we had stubborn hearts. And we did not want to repent. And even though our conscience told us that we were guilty, we did not care. But because God is a God of mercy, he didn't leave us there. And in Romans chapter 3 says that because of this, we all, there's no righteous person. No one does what is right. No one is seeking for God. And that is you and that was me. But because the mercy of God does not leave us there, you go to Romans chapter 4. And it says that God found a way for us to be forgiven and to be justified by faith. But because the, God of, the mercy of God does not stop there, you go to Romans chapter 5. And it says that the only way for someone to be justified by faith is by, putting, by repenting and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The one that was truly righteous, the one that went to the cross, the one that took the wrath of God, and the one that died for our stubborn hearts. But because the mercy of God does not stop there, we go to Romans chapter 6. Because if we have been justified and declared righteous in Jesus, now we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. But because the mercy of God does not stop there, you go to Romans chapter 7. That even though now you're a saint, we recognize that we still struggle and we read this, we just heard this beautiful piece from Romans chapter 7. In which we still struggle with our sin. But praise be to God that Jesus died for our sins. And therefore, Romans chapter 8 comes in and says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And now, because of the work of God in Jesus Christ, we can be fully convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor, death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the mercy of God. You know why Paul calls us to be extravagant people and be part of an extravagant church? Because we have an extravagant God. He did not hold anything back. He found something worthy of his son and gave it all. You know what that is? You. You are. Why wouldn't we live extravagant lives? Why wouldn't we offer our bodies as living sacrifices? Holy Pleasing to God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, today we just want to remember and celebrate the mercy of God. 
It is only when we remember and celebrate who we were, how evil we were, how lost we were, and that yet when we were in our sin, Christ died for us to make us righteous, to give us forgiveness, to bring us home, to give us life, to give us hope, and to make us not only feel, but know that we are secure. Lord, I pray that WBC, in all of our service, with all our services, with, with all the kinds of different people we have, we become extravagant people. And we embrace our extravagant church because we have an extravagant God. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the churches? Let's, let's offer ourselves to the Lord and worship our, the, with this last song. Let's stand. Strength and
What a beautiful, beautiful song to finish our service. And before leaving, I want to remind you of the blessing that our Lord Jesus Christ earned and purchased for this beautiful mess. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming, church. We love you. You are sent.